So usually what happens is when people read the first couple lines, they all doze off and they kind of go on to another land. How did you all feel? It was okay? A little overwhelming? In and out, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. It's really challenging, and that's why I like this cheat sheet because I feel like it can really help you guys on your path. And by reading it out loud, everybody take up your hands and wave them, and then take one to one shoulder and be like, "Yeah, you read something from the Yoga Sutras," and then the other side be like, "Yeah, you're so flipping cool." When I first read the stuff, you know, like, I was like, what's that character who's like, uh, you know, plays the drums and like the Muppets or something? Oh, yeah. yeah, so I was like, I was like, that's what I thought someone was trying to do, like, beat this into my brain. And I just like, was so upset because I couldn't figure it out. So it just takes time, you know, it's time and it's practice, just like your yoga, it's habitual. And after a while, just trying to seep in and you'll be like, oh, I, I understand this little nugget or oh this word seems similar to something else or oh cool you know it'll just start to come in but I want you really to see this with the eyes of a child right because you don't need to know anything you don't need to know everything at all I want you to see this with like childlike wonderment as if you're in happy baby and you're just kind of you know like have no care in the world and then it'll make it easier because you don't need to know it right now as I mentioned in the kind of talking about what this is all about, you guys already know all this. We're just peeling away all the crap that's kind of covering up all this stuff that you already are. Cool? Good. Okay, so let's go to page two of the cheat sheets and talk about the first sutra. Um, so YS doesn't mean your yoga study, it means yoga sutra. So, Yoga Sutra 1.1, because we're in the first book, Samadapada, which is, as we discussed, all about that foundational point to get to that place of cognitive absorption, or the top of the eighth limb. We're opening up with the big picture, which is a roadmap to where we're going, to the state of Samadhi itself. So, Atta Yoga Anushasanam. Let's all say that. Atta Yoga Anushasanam. Good. <laughs> That's okay. At A plus for effort. Yeah. Good. So, Ata, now is the time. Now then, yoga is being explained. Now begins an exposition of yoga. So, we're just starting. Now is the time. And a lot of these texts are going to start with Ata. Not like Hata, but Ata. Now is the time. And just like your breath, every time you take a new inhalation, it begins a new cycle of an exhalation and just keeps going. So now is the time. And if you don't get it today, you'll get it on the next breath. And if you don't get it on the next breath, you'll get it, you know, in a couple of months. So don't, you know, sweat it. Yoga, and we all know, is union, joining, state of integration, merger with the divine self, balance. Some of you also had other words, yoking, unifying. Um, anu, Adam, the smallest building block in nature. 
So anushasanam is the explanation, the perception on its fundamental level. Yoga Sutra 1.2, and this will be the last sutra I'll have you read out loud, but I want you guys to, this is your homework, to memorize this sutra, okay? Yoga, Chitta, Vritti, Narodaha, Yoga, Chitta, Vritti, Narodaha, Yoga, Chitta, Vritti, Narodaha. Good. Very good. So I'm going to give you four different versions of what this means. Yoga is the control of the modifications of the mental mind field. Yoga is the suppression of the modifications of the mind. A state of yoga arises when you cease to identify with your fluctuating mind. Or yoga is the dissolution of the mind into the origin of the mind field. I don't know, they all sound really pretty, but... Vritti, yeah, good. <laughs> vritti is fluctuations or turnings. So I think of like vritti, like a little hummingbird, vritti, right? The mind field is a mutation of sattva, which we think of in like Ayurvedic principles. We want to have the sattva, the most harmonious state, the most divine, true essence, that beautiful space, right? And so when you get to the idea of the mind field being a mutation of sattva, which is the purest aspect of prakriti, prakriti, okay? So chitta then becomes thoughts, the perceived a tool which occurs during meditation. So chitta is a thought, right? And thoughts happen, right? But we're going to learn we are not our thoughts. So my dad, when I grew up, he loves saying shit happens all the time. So I'm going to teach you a new one. Chitta happens. <laughs> okay? Because of vrittis, the right? Titi basana, you know, you like wiggle your toes, you're in this really cool pose, but it's coming from maybe sometimes a place of ego. So sometimes we flap our feet as a joke. But titi basana is that like kind of like where you're not letting your thoughts control you and you are in a state of pure awareness. Chitta is a river which flows in either two directions. The ocean of the world of experience, where you have desires, ignorance, sin, indiscriminate knowledge, all that stuff, your cravings, or the ocean of spiritual sources, true self-knowledge, liberation, independence, control over the samskaras, and as we talked about when we were reading this text, samskaras are those broken records, those things we ruminate on, right? Samskara, hala hala, moha shantie. All those samskaras let the poison get out of me so that I can be free. So we want to, um, when we practice, our object is to stop the flow in one direction and make the flow in the other direction. And it's not as hard as we always think it is, but if you think about it, Stress, trauma, anxiety, challenges, anything that someone comes to the mat for to help. If we keep on those patterns, we go into that black hole of ruminating darkness, right? And what we're trying to do is find that there's another way to get us out of that so that we can be free of our thoughts that put us in that space. And that's kind of cool. So vritti is not simply a thought, 
It is the activity of forming concepts from individual thoughts that arise in the mind. So it's the practice of constructing, inducing concept of reality from mental impressions. So perversions, paranoia, twisted things, judgment, doubt, things that kind of get us. You know, you can think of a conversation where someone just knows how to press that right button. Mm -hmm. And we have friends and family who really know how to do that well. But that's not us. It's a trigger. So Narodaha is the final word, is the cultivation of stillness of mind and the cessation of the misidentification with the mental mind stuff. And with that mental modifications, it's both the goal of yoga and the means to attain the goal. It's both a process and a state. You're not suppressing or restricting something or even saying, I don't, it, you know, like you're just blocking it out because it'll come back to bite you when you get older. The idea is that it's a cessation, a calming, a process of ending. I always think like when someone says let it go, that's kind of scary because you're not dealing with it. But if you let it be and have a state of being, then you're always able to realize that with light comes shadow. Right? So that I always think of the thing about Tejas, when we really are practicing the Raja Yoga, we're taking our favorite gemstone, which is multifaceted. And some of it's like caca, you know, Spanish for shit. And some of it's like really awesome. But if we don't embrace the dark and the light, we're not going to really let ourselves be fully whole. But if we allow ourselves to kind of like embrace all facets of who we are, that's the Tejas, that's the luster that they're talking about in this first chapter. So I used to have this exercise where um, we would practice um, meditation. But what I want to kind of talk to you about is that meditation is a moment-to-moment -moment conversation because that's for more of a six-hour workshop. We don't have six hours. Thoughts and ideas bubble up, but there is no self. Hence, thoughts are not conceptualized and they're not in yourselves. Yoga is the liberation, which we now know is moksha or freedom from the mind, not of the mind. You are not your mind. You're free from it. In a deep sleep, your soul returns to the source for nourishment. And yogis can attain this clear state while awake. But it is really important, I want you all to know, like one of the golden rules of like being a good yogi is getting enough sleep because that's where you process things. You know? The job of our mind is to think. We still think. You're just not the content of your thoughts, right? You let them come and go like clouds in the sky because you are not attached. Or you see them maybe tethered to a kite. They're still there, but you don't have to grasp at them all the time. You can see them for their beauty. Hmm? Does that make sense? Yoga Sutra 1.2, Abhyasa Viragya Bam Tan Narodaha, practice comma non-attachment are the way to avoid identifying with your fluctuating mind. So Abhyasa meaning practice and Viragya meaning non-attachment. Practice is discipline and discipline is part of the practice. It's like the wings of a bird, you can't fly with only one wing. Right? So in this text, it's constantly saying this is a practice. It's habitual. Mm -hmm. 
You have to work at it. It's like a good relationship. There's a compromise. There's listening. There's space. It's like a seesaw. You know, if someone's really small and someone's really big, the shit's not going to work. But if you find a happy medium, or you find a way to create some balance, the scales get balanced. Um, so all of you know about, um, hopefully, my app Superstretch, right? My app Superstretch has had over 293,000 downloads. Yes? Okay, it's called Superstretch Yoga. It's very cool. Check it out. Um, but Superstretch teaches kids to breathe, stretch, play, and make Namaste a part of your day. Namaste is an acronym, and we'll, I can tell you that later. But the, and it's teaching the yamas and niyamas through the acronym. But the idea is that Superstretch is always teaching kids, take a breath, calm your mind, build energy. And he's always saying to the kids, practice is progress. So it's the same thing as the sutra is saying. Practice is discipline. You can't fly with only one wing. One point one four. Your practice will have a firm foundation with this attention to over an extended period of time, with sincerity and without interruption. Oh shit! There they're saying it again. It's a ritual. I can't stop saying it. One point one five. Non-attachment is the awareness of your own self-mastery as a seer. We're not clinging to sensory objects already experienced or heard from others. This is a huge thing. As a teacher, you have to be aware of being a seer and seeing with non-attachment. You have to suspend your knee-jerk reactions because this practice is a nuanced walk of being a teacher. Have you ever heard of like that story of... Um, like, uh, it teaches you about compassion versus empathy, and um, it's when the shoes are in the store, but they're behind a wall, you know, a glass wall, and you look at them, and someone says, oh, they're still behind the glass wall, look at those cute shoes, and someone says, oh, put that shoes on, I want to be in that place. When you look at a student, you can't jump into their challenge and try and fix it, but you can look at it, Listen and be present for that person. It is very challenging to practice with a sense of non-attachment to thoughts and feelings that arise without getting involved in identifying with those thoughts and feelings. And this is going to be a huge challenge as a teacher because you're empathetic. You came to this mat for a reason. You're a caretaker. You're a nurturer. You can't own other people's shit. And it's going to be a really subtle walk for you. And you might hit some bumps. And that's why you have your team of friends to kind of talk through this stuff. But um, you have malas that you wear, right? You can create protective shields. We can talk about that after if you want to. But there's lots of ways to protect yourself. But if someone's telling a story, and then you go in and say, like, oh, I have a way to fix it. They haven't been able to tell their story. They haven't been able to get it off their chest or process it, right? It's the same way if someone's telling a story and then you give them a Kleenex before they're finished. You've taken that story or you've taken it away from them. So as a teacher, the best thing you can do is smile 
Because that's the first sign of empathy, right? Because those mirror neurons, look at Shelly smiling. Those mirror neurons, it's like the best way to just be there for someone and listen. It says this in this book, non-attachment. 1.23, Ishvara Prani had, I'm not going to read it. Um, or you can seize identifying with the fluctuating mind through total surrender and devotion to the divine self. Okay. So you know how we're always saying yoga isn't about God? It isn't religious? It is kind of. But don't tell your students that. Uh, Ishvara, the ultimate seer, the personal divine, the divine within. One of the names of the name, uh, one of the names of the divine is your name. But this can be defined as G-O-D. Um, prana, life energy, your thoughts, your words, your actions. And dhyana, dedicate, devote, surrender, donation. So the power of surrender is big in this text. It's so important that Patanjali this cool human being or collective people falling from heaven repeats it four times. It is his express route to enlightenment. Surrender is not a sign of weakness. In yoga, victory is attained when we surrender our limited sense of who we are and make space to feel our true nature. And anybody who's never read the Bhagavad Gita, have you ever read the Bhagavad Gita? It's a beautiful story. Right? It's, it's from the Upanishads. It's a part of the story from the Mahabharata, I think. Yeah. And it's, it means the song of God. And it's a great story about we do um, warrior pose or hero pose. And that's where this pose came from. It comes from this man named Arjuna who was having this huge problem because he had to go to war with his family. He's like, shit, I don't want to kill my family members. And then this entity, this person it, it, he has a conversation with who's trying to help him actually was hidden in disguise because it was God that he was having a conversation with. Processing all of this stuff to figure out what the path is so that he could be on the path that was the one he needed to be on. It's a great story that you should read and I'm not going to tell you the secret. What? It used to be my favorite show Oh. I've not read the book, but it used to be a very famous TV series. Oh, really? Uh huh. Yeah, they're always this Mars, like a TV series. Yeah, you can look at it on like the interweb and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Mahabharata. Yeah. Well, and, oh, oh, we'll spell it after this. Uh, if you turn to page four. There's a great quote from Anais Nid, and the, Anais Nid. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to bloom. Anais Nid. Nice. Okay, so I'm going to say the G-O-D word. Give yourself to God and attain the identity of God because if not, whatever you feel grows. So get over yourself immediately and do it now. You are a superhero. You are a fucking badass. So you have to feel it. Right? You have to let your freak flag fly. Even if you're weirder than shit, just let it happen because good stuff's going to happen from that. And you have to, when we get to book four, which is a really cool part of this book, when three and four, when we get to the chapters three and four in this book, it talks about siddhas. 
Siddha means super. We have superpower strength. We have superhero things already. That's where they got all these superhero stories was from this book. It's so cool. Wait until we read it. But it's pretty neat. And if you really trust that divine, that divinity within, whatever your spiritual practice is, you are going to be finding your authenticity. And then you're going to be living the way that you should be living. And that's what that sutra 1.23 talks about. When it goes to 1.27, 2.8, and 2.9, Patanjali references the secret sound of Om. He reminds us the power of Om and the way to bring us back to our true nature, our true home. Repetition and reflection on Om destroys obstacles of knowing and brings knowledge to the divinity within. So, our world resonates at 7.83, right? That's the hertz. Mm -hmm. That's the same hertz as Om. Because Om reboots the body. It's the primordial sound of the earth. It's our essence. It's what that little vibration that everything goes upon. So when we say Om, it hits a spot uh -huh, at our palate that goes up into our brain that reboots our superhuman machine just by saying Om. So if you're sitting in the car and people don't know what you're doing because your windows are rolled up and you can pretend you're listening to music and you can be like Om and you can sing it instead of telling the person next to you that he's an asshole because he tried to cut you off. Or if you're really pissed at someone, and you just sing in your car so that your car can be a place of meditation where you're oming. So I had you in, when we were reading from the aphorisms, I had you write down A-U-M, right? And the little symbol, you all know what om looks like, right? So the three, should I give you this as homework? You want to yeah. research it? what each one means. Yeah? Okay. That'll be your homework. I won't tell you what it is. The OM. What the symbols are. The meaning of OM. That can be your homework. It's a very cool meaning. And that little dot has a meaning. But before we leave, I'd like to sing Om, the way that we're supposed to sing Om. Because the Ah is here, the Ooh is here, and the Mmm is here, and that little dot is right here. Ah, ooh, mm. It's cool. We'll try it. Yoga Sutra 3.3, your mind becomes purified by the cultivation of feelings of amity, compassion, goodwill, and indifference, respectively towards happy, miserable, virtuous, and sinful creatures. Wouldn't that be awesome? To preserve the innate serenity of mind and be happy for the happy, compassionate towards the unhappy, and delighted for the virtuous, indifferent of the wicked. Uh, Gandhi once said that happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And the Dalai Lama always says that all creatures want to be happy. As yogis, we're empathetic by nature, so it's hard to not feel for others, and we rejoice in good fortunes of others, and we want to treat them with compassion and kindness. People numb out in this world. People are very disconnected. 
And a lot of people live outside of their bodies because they're just in their thinking mind. And we're forced to be very competitive. But as yogis, we can't be indifferent. We're a lot of times yogis are spiritual activists. It's really a choice of being right versus being free. So that a lot of times you guys have a karma project that you have to do. That's why. is because of this sutra. Some of you might not eat meat because of this sutra. Does I have a question? Yeah. To be unattached? Yeah. Yeah, in the last thing we were talking about how we don't want to be attached to other people's challenges mm -hmm. and to be present and aware for them through compassion but not take on their challenges. Mm -hmm. And here we're saying that, because um, you're asking indifferent or disconnected, yeah, a lot of people are so disconnected that, like, they're um, not in their, their selves. They're not inhabiting their bodies. They're not present. They're not, um, they're kind of like a couch potato. It might have been my saying. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. The, the first line up there is the translation. Mm -hmm. But as, as yogis, we can't just, like, not say anything. Right? So, so we have to be a spiritual act. Uh, we have to stick up for right. Right. And so, yeah. I guess... Instead of being disconnected. So if you feel something... But if someone, like, say that there's someone who's doing some really weird shit politically, mm -hmm. you see them for what they are, mm -hmm. and you're not going to be like, oh, and, 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 and be that same way that person is, but you're going to be a pure of heart revolutionary spirit, and you're going to go out and speak your truth so that your voice is heard, so that you can do something without yes. being playing the same game they are. Right. So I guess my confusion is, I, I probably used a, I, I should have used a different word. Well, no, I, all of that makes total sense yeah. to me. Okay. What I don't understand is being indifferent to the wicked. That, to me, feels like I don't want to be indifferent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. That's the way so, that the text is translated. Okay. Yeah. But maybe it's not to be influenced by the wicked. Or stoop to their level. Right, or, yeah. to, to match their behavior. Not to be influenced yeah. That's a great question. Maybe um, look and see, uh, maybe you could look up another translation of that text from something else and see if it resonates and we'd love to hear what you found. Um, Yoga Sutra 1.34, by exhaling and restraining the breath, also the mind is calm. So a lot of times, will find that meditation is the um, ticket to, or the like express route to enlightenment. 
So how many of you meditate? Everybody's like, I would highly recommend that you put your tush to the kush. I would highly recommend that you find a way to do meditation. And what we're going to learn about in book two is that meditation, and I had you circle Sutra 39 of book number one. When you're in the zone, contemplating on whatsoever one thing that may, one may like, the mind becomes stable. Who likes to paint? Who likes to cook? Who likes to run? Who likes to bike? Who likes to walk their dogs? Who likes to have SEX? <laughs> Who, uh, like think, if I haven't said something, raise your hand. Whatever you feel like, you know, yeah, play sports. Is that what you said? Yep. Have you ever heard someone say, in the zone? Whenever you're in the zone, where you're transcending all space and time, where you're like so present, where you're like, was it really an hour? Because it felt like it was two seconds, right? A peak experience. That is meditation. So you don't have to say, oh my God, if I don't sit in front of this thing, they told me to put a statue in front of me, and they told me to sit cross-legged, and I don't like sitting cross-legged, and it hurts my knees, and I hate this corner of the room, but they said to be in a corner, you know. Right, yeah, you have to light a candle, you have to have your mala beads. I don't even like this mala necklace. Someone gave it to me from a store. I think it's fake. You know, I was like, you know what I'm saying? You have to find what resonates with you, and that's meditation. So far as it isn't like, you know, like something that's like bad, like, I don't know, evil. Yay! Sadhana Pada is um, book two. It's a path to realization on practice. We're going to talk about how bad you want it, and here's a three-step path. It's the chapter on sadhana or the um, conscious practice of yoga. So Patanjali is going to give the sadhaka, the one who practices, practical step-by-step directions for reaching samadhi. So we're going to learn these things that we need to learn in order to get to that place so that we as yogis can take the, the great vow to become one. And this is where we're going to learn about the yamas and niyamas and how to reframe our mind through practice, habitual practice, and conscious active breath to find center. So it's the eighth limb, right? And it's that cognitive absorption. It's where you're just like open awareness, moksha, freedom, where you have like, has anybody ever made Greek coffee? Have you made Greek coffee? Or like tea in a press pot? And you know, you, you get that stuff in and you like 
push on the trick thing, what is it called, plunger? <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's like, I, I just make shit up. Um, <laughs> and it like, it's like this rolling dervish, right? All the tea is like rolling all around like a snow globe, like you shook it up. And then all of a sudden, when you watch it, it just, not because you pressed it down with that presser thing, because that's what happens when people explode because they push their emotions down. But if you just let it settle down and the dregs, which is kind of like the sediment, the residue, it goes to the bottom and it just stays there. And all that beautiful effervescent stuff that yogis call amrita, that sweet nectar of what you've made, is kind of hanging out there and that's what you drink. Amrita, A-M-R-I-T-A, amrita, yep. The sweet nectar of the practice. And that's what run through, runs through your veins, that's what opens up your mind, that's what lets you see things from fresh perspectives. That's maybe samadhi. Other people think you get samadhi from something called shantipat. When your guru touches you on the head and all of a sudden you're truly enlightened. Other people think samadhi is when you die and you transcend your body. Other people think it's like there's a, um, there's a guru called Ama. If you get a hug from her or kiss her feet, you're supposed to like miraculously be fine. <laughs> Sorry if I'm offending anybody. But I don't know, you know, like I think it takes work. And I think it is a practice. And it's, yeah. If someone told you to jump off a bridge because you thought they were cool, would you do it? Because what? The guru is within. So the samadhi is about cultivating a way to let the dregs go to the bottom and settle. Still part of you, but we're aware of it. And in this awareness, we're able to create space. And in this space, we find samadhi. And the more you practice, because it is a subtle, nuanced thing, right? The more we practice, it might be like, oh, I have like, I feel like I'm in the zone for like this amount of time. And then all of a sudden, the more you do it, you're like this. And then oh, the next day it's like, oh, back down to that. And then all of a sudden it's like, you get the next day and you're like, oh my God, I could run like 15 miles. I don't know what happened. And then the next time it's like maybe halfway. It's just this kind of journey with no expectations and no judgment. Any other exciting questions? This text is all about how to stand in your truth, right? We're learning these amazing principles to um, kind of go alongside your belief system, your spiritual doctrine. It's not saying don't believe in what you were raised with, don't believe in what like you're, you're, you're passionate about, but it's saying to be open up and be vulnerable so that you can create more space. And it's asking questions like why, 
so that you can find an even richer part of yourself. Um, it's about balance, right? Health and harmony. So these are guidelines that you're learning and timeless principles to get rid of pain and suffering. Right? Who can say that they've never had pain or suffering? I'm perfect. <laughs> uh, to, get, to get health and balance and to find um, harmony. I don't think there's anything that is kind of like bad about that. I think it's pretty cool. Number two, or section two, is like the big meat, the big chunk of what a lot of this stuff gets taught in. And book three and four is all about the magic things that happen, like being as light as a cotton ball, getting really small and diminutive, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think that's where they came up with the movie from, if you want to ask me. Um, or all these all kinds of superhero movies that are huge right now. We're going to find our superpowers, yeah. Um, what about we talked about this not um, We talked about this like, yogi who like, meditated like, in like, this public state, like, meeting or whatever, and he like, died like, after like, enlightenment. Yeah. For like 40 days, like, his body didn't age. I was trying to find it, and I couldn't probably Google it in the wrong thing. Um, so, have you ever read a book by Paramahansa Yogananda, the Self-Realization Fellowship? He started, there's a big one in California. There's a movie that, that's on Netflix, but there's a movie actually called Awakening, I think January 18th. It was here in town. Um, Self-Realization Fellowship, Paramahansa Yogananda, it's called The Autobiography of Yogi. And it's a really cool book about all these crazy things that yogis can do. They can stop their heart. Um, they used to go into symposiums and like show all these interesting things that you can do. And yeah, and you know, uh, there may be tricks. Maybe there's sleight of hand. A lot of magicians study yogic philosophy. There's a famous musician in. Um, uh, uh, Las Vegas, who practices as a studio that I taught out at there, and um, they, they go there to school and they learn yoga principles and learn about all kinds of different energetic things because they, if you like read like David Blaine or different things like that, they study a lot of yoga and breath practices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Energetic work, chakra work, uh, hands of healing, all that stuff. It all comes from this stuff. Should we do the ah and the ooh and the mm in the last four minutes that we have? Do you guys really want to have the homework? Of the ah and the ooh and the m? Okay. I know when people say homework in other places, they're like, no, I can't believe you're all like excited. Okay. Uh, it's very cool. But, uh, so, we spell it O-M because it sounds like O-M, right? A backwards cow or dyslexic cow says moo. So that's why cows moo, because they're actually saying O-M. They're a little confused. But, uh, uh, uh that was kind of funny. 
Okay, so uh, they're also putting all that methane gas yeah. in there. That's they're just backwards. They got it wrong. They're supposed to be like trees. Okay, so the ah is down here. The ooh is here. The mm is here. And then there's that turiya, that space where you transcend all space and time. Okay? I used to be in the, like, design advertising world, right? So I always thought the person who did Campbell's Soup, mm-mm, good, was always really smart because that's kind of like what the mm is, mm -hmm. and it gives you that blissed-out state because you're already tapping into that thing that we're trying to do to reboot our superhuman machine. Mm -hmm. uh, did you know every 90 to 120 minutes, we breathe out of a different nostril? So one minute, if we're breathing out of the left nostril, it means it's going to the right side. So we're all like analytical and serious. Right. Or we're breathing out of the right nostril and it's coming from the left side. And we're all like airy-fairy, creative, and all that stuff. Right? That's where you're like spacing out, need to take a break, go outside. So what we try to do when we do the mm, or when we practice yoga, is to get everything to harmonize together so our central nervous system get our brain to merge and function properly. So it goes ah, ooh, mm, and then there's some space. So we'll do it three times. The first one will seem rough, second one will hopefully, and we'll see what happens by the last one. So to find a comfortable seat, get your pelvis in alignment, start to broaden your back body, your hands are on your legs, and our spine becomes like a pillar. So spine actually is one of the dharmas, it's one of the pillars that sustains us. And as our spine elongates, it creates space to open up the collarbone so that we can start to really open up our heart. As you breathe a little bit deeper here, begin to kind of close your eyes, soften the focus, and instead of like, looking at maybe the red that you see or the white uh, staticky colors in front of you, start to look into the black, deep, dark, in within, and find that space and notice yourself a little bit lighter as your tongue softens. Feel the jaw relax and begin to notice the breath as your throat opens. The ribs expand and contract on every inhale and exhale. And you can feel your sits bones, the bony parts of your behind, those little butt knuckles, those kind of tubers, planting down into the earth. So as you take your next inhale, you can feel your spine become the stem or the uh, kind of stalk that grows up from your lotus flower, so that out of the murk and the mire, you can truly blossom, and you can truly open up to your divine nature, your true essence. If your palms are facing down, you're recirculating the energy. If your palms are facing up, you're just drawing in what you need at this moment. But whatever you're doing, you're literally allowing whatever doesn't serve you anymore to shed and to go so that you can be. 
Feel your next inhale creating space. And your next exhale like a sigh of relief so that we can ohm together. Inhale, breathe in. And from your lower parts, ah. So it moves up your body, inhale. of your heart in your hands. Just rub your palms together. <coughs> and mindfully take your hands to your forehead for right thought. Your hands to your mouth for right speech. And your hands to your heart for right action. So that the merits of your practice can benefit all beings. Well, it was an honor to spend this evening with all of you. I look forward to our next adventure. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.